You know, it's, um, it's a topic I think sometimes that we don't always want to talk about in church. Um, and I love the message that my dad has been preaching lately because it's really putting it into good perspective for us, our relationship with the Lord. And how, because uh, I think about it like this, you know, if I'm, Danielle and I were married, and sometimes it's like, which I, we are married, um, but I think about it how when I sacrifice big for Danielle, it makes her, there is a, it's almost as if there's a response that she can't help herself but give. You ever notice that? Like we just had our two year anniversary and like we, yeah, that's right. You guys are rowdy. All right. Just had our two year anniversary and we like spent some time together and like we, I got her some gifts and different things like that. And it's just like, there's a response. Now think about our heavenly father. Think about like Danielle is great and she's a wonderful person, but she still loves with human love. Think about our heavenly father who loves within everlasting perfected love. How when we step out and even sacrifice a little, he is like right there on the tail end of that thing. And not that we sacrifice because of that, we sacrifice because we love him. But I think that sometimes we forget that like we're in a, ro a romance with our heavenly father and we are the same way that we would treat our spouses or maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know, to certain degrees. Our heavenly father is in that kind of a place with us and he responds to our heart and our desire to love on him and sacrifice for him. And so that's why these testimonies are amazing. And I think that sometimes we don't like to use the word sacrifice in church, you know, because it could be like, oh, that's such a harsh topic, you know? But I, I, it's become more and more uh, um, in my reality. It's this concept that you just can't escape. You know, you try to, you try to make this life a life that doesn't, you know, that's, you know, easy and it's good and it's hallelujah and it's all those things. If I tell you, you go any distance with God anywhere and you're going to realize that like it's, it's the ones who understand how to sacrifice. Right. You know, my mom and I were just having a conversation about this like just the other day and how sometimes we could think about sacrifice and sacrifice in our life with Christ and, you know, but if you look at anybody in history, Anybody who did anything great, I mean, anybody who started a movement, anybody who changed a country, anybody who started a business or does anything great, that person's life, always the story, it's almost like, you know, there's the story of them trying to get it done, and then there's always the turning point when it's like all of a sudden things are happening, and it's always at that turning point, it was like, and he had his last dollar, yeah. you know? And he put his last $100 into the business. And then it was like, wow, all of a sudden thing, right? Why? Because there is a, it's a law. It's a physical law that when we sacrifice, it creates a vacuum for God to have a, a place in our life to be able to fill. That's why people say you can never outgive God. And that's the truth. Like you might put something in the offering and you don't have a testimony like this person where the next day you show up. But I tell you something, God is faithful to his word. And those $5 and $10 and $20 and $100 that, you know, you might not see them for a while, but I asked the Lord this one time and it was really great, his response to me, because I'm asking the Lord, God, I've given all these seeds. You know, I mean, we, I've been serving the Lord for a long time and I used to work like good jobs and all this really since I was 16. What do you mean? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Actually, like, I always worked a good job. Like I became a lifeguard and I taught swimming lessons and I would like supervise like water parks. And so even at a really young age, I had really great jobs, like making $25, $30 an hour as like a 17 year old kid. It was like crazy money. And I can remember like being young and like going to a Kenneth Copeland conference. There's, he has an anointing to make you want to empty your bank account. So if you don't want to empty your bank account, don't go to his conference. And I can remember like, not just like once, but like going years and feeling this like ridiculous compulsion to just empty out my bank account and give everything that I have to the Lord. And I can remember for years asking the Lord, like, Lord, like I've sown like thousands of dollars. 
right? Like probably like, I don't even know, but it's been a lot of money that I have sown in the offering. And I asked the Lord, like, you know, God, uh, if I'm supposed to get a hundredfold return on this, this is a serious bit of money. And I asked him, like, what's going on? And his response was, it was so simple. He said to me, don't worry, it's collecting interest. And I was thinking to the Lord, because on the flip side of that, the Lord, I, there's a promise that God has given to me and to my family. Um, and, and I know exactly what he's talking to, to me about. Um, but, you know, just because we don't see things right now. And I think that sometimes that's where we could be challenged in our humanity is I want to see it now. I want it now. You know, I want to go to the window at McDonald's and order. And by the time I drive around the corner, I want to have my dinner here now. You know, it's like 47 seconds or it's free, right? <laughs> but the things with God, they aren't, I mean, sometimes they're like that. And thank God that there are victories that we get that are like that. But whether we see it tomorrow, you know, two weeks from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, doesn't lessen the, 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 the perfection of the promise that he gave to us. That it is just as real if it shows up in 10 minutes as if it shows up in 10 years. And I think that's, it's, no, I think, it's what I want to talk about this evening is understanding this, because you know, we, we, we are faith people, and we live a faith life. And my dad taught a message about this years ago, and uh, that faith is not our religion, right? I think that sometimes we say that, like, what faith are you? And you say, well, I'm a Christian, right? I'm a Baptist, I'm a whatever, but that's not when the Bible is talking to us about faith and understanding of faith. That's not what the Bible is talking to us about. Very simply, if you were to just really, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, on the surface, define the word faith, we could simply use the word believe. It's like they work interchangeably. That we are faith people. We are people who believe. What do we believe? Well, we believe the Bible. And I believe the Bible in its entirety. I believe the Bible is perfect. I believe the Bible is flawless. I believe whether or not my life looks like the Bible, the Bible is more real than my circumstances or my situations. I believe that I don't have to consult my bank account, my physical body. I don't have to consult a doctor for my doctor to tell me what's more real. I know that the word of God is the most real thing there is. And if the word of God gives me a promise, whether I see it today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, or I don't see that promise until I get to heaven, I can rest assured that the promises of God are the most real thing here on this earth. Because this is where we live. This is who we are. I mean, I, I, I use this all the time and I say this, but... You know, we are, this is a faith life. Hebrews 11.3 says it like this, that it's by faith that we understand. And 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, says that we walk by faith. And 2 Corinthians 1.24 says that it's by faith that we stand. And Hebrews 10.38 says it's that we live by faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 says that we're to fight the good fight of faith. Jude tells us to earnestly contend for faith. Galatians tells us that we inherit the promise through faith. Ephesians 6 says that we're to carry the shield of faith, that it's our protection against the enemy. 1 John tells us that it's by faith we overcome. Hebrews says that it's by faith that we manifest the promise. 1 Thessalonians says that it's faith will encourage us. Ephesians tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. Galatians 5 says we're preserved by faith. John says that faith does the miraculous. And Hebrews 11 says it's faith that pleases God. I mean, that's a pretty exhaustive list of all the promises that God would want to manifest in your life, whether it's safety, security, finances, health, relationships, encouragement, everything that we would desire to get from God, I get through faith. So I realize that when the scripture says that God is coming back looking for one thing, he's coming back looking for faith, in the hearts and the minds of people, I simply understand that God is coming back looking for people who are actually manifesting the word of God. This is what my dad is talking about, is that he's coming back from, the Bible says, a pure and spotless bride. 
Sometimes we feel like, oh, he's coming back for people who, you know, we've memorized the whole New Testament and now we have faith in it. That's not what God is looking for. God is looking for his bride to actually be manifesting the promises that he gave to his bride. And that's what this is all about. And this evening, what I want to talk about, I don't want to take much time, and so I want to get started, is understanding this concept. The Bible says it like this, that we're to walk by faith, not by sight. Because one of the things that I have realized in life is it's very, very easy to walk by sight, not by faith. You ever notice that? That you could have, you could, you know, read up your promise and read the scripture and meditate on your scripture. And, you know, you could do it an hour after hour, day after day, and then the bill comes in the mail. Right? Why? Because it's so easy for us to live based off of our five physical senses. It's easy to live based off of what feels as though it's real or true in the moment. But the scripture tells us that we're to not to walk according to our sight, not to walk according to our five physical senses, not to walk according to what you think or you feel or what seems real around you. The Bible says you can ignore all of those things. You could ignore it because it's by faith that we, it's, it's by faith that we walk. And so I want to read really quickly. Let's just go here on Numbers 13. We're going to read a few verses of scripture, and then we're going to talk for a little bit. It says this, Numbers 13, verse 26 says this, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Okay, so what's basically happening here for the majority of you, you know the story, What's happened is the Israelites have just been, after hundreds of years of captivity, captivity, they have just been released from Egypt, right? It's this huge miraculous thing, right? We remember Moses and the plagues, right? The locust and all those things, the blood, the water turns to blood, okay? So God does all of these miraculous things and frees them. Then they find themselves and they're at the Red Sea, and the, you know, the Israelite or the Egyptian army is behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. And what happens? God parts the Red Sea. And then we know that they're in the wilderness and they've gone out to the wilderness really to embark on this very short journey in order to get into their promised land. Because that's where, and this is a foreshadowing in our life, that God doesn't have a desire for us to live in the wilderness, I think that sometimes that could be a thing of we talk about we're in our wilderness or we're in our dry season, but the story, according to the Israelites, is that that wasn't supposed to be a long journey. It was kind of like this short little jaunt, a couple of days in order for them to get to the promised land, right? It was their inability to walk by faith and not by sight that got them stuck living in the wilderness, and so what happens is, is they come across the Jordan River and they come into the land that God has promised to them, to their, you know, to their fathers and their fathers' fathers and to their children and their children's children. They come to kind of the doorway of this land that God has given to them and they decide, hey, this is what we're going to do. We, we've heard that this is where God wants us to be, but we know there's already people who live there. And so instead of all of us just walking in, what we're going to do is we're going to send out 12 spies. And so this is where we're picking up right now is the 12 spies have now just come back to kind of give the report as far as this is what's happening in the land. And so it says that they came back to this place and there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Okay, so we have a quick, very, a very simple understanding that this is a good land, I'm here to let you in on a little secret that when we live a life with God, God is taking us into a good land, okay? God didn't take them out of Egypt to just get them a little bit better. God took them out of Egypt into a land that we're going to read that flows with milk and honey. So it says this, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit, right? And so there's a translation that says that they're like carrying like, you know, grapes that are the size of like watermelons. And it's just like this land is overabundant. And in verse 28, it says this, but, but, how many of you sometimes have some buts in your life? 
We all have butts, actually. <laughs> it says this, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the, the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But then verse 30, there's, there's a, a different voice that arises. It says this, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up. Why? Because you see, he was seeing something that the other 10 weren't seeing. Now, it wasn't that he wasn't seeing it, right? You, you understand? It wasn't like he walked around with a blindfold on the whole time and he didn't know what was there. No, no, he saw and experienced the same things. But even though he was seeing something, he was seeing something different than the other people were seeing. It says this, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. Why? Because he was walking not according to what he was seeing. He was walking according to the Bible, God, my heavenly father, who got me out of Egypt, who got me across the Red Sea. If this guy can do that much, I'm pretty sure that we could go up and go and take the land. But then this is what you got to be aware of. you got to be aware of the haters. Verse 31 says this, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, That land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. What? We can't do it. God can't do that. It's too hard. It's too challenging. That dream you have, it's too big. You live in Fort Erie. You've never made more than $50,000 a year. Don't you know cancer runs in your family? You know, the divorce rate is 50% nowadays. You know, it's totally normal for your kids to be on drugs. Families always fall apart. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the giants, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. How many of you could see very, very quickly that our perspective is everything? that Joshua and Caleb saw the very same things. They saw the same giants, the same walls, the same cities that those other 10 spies saw. But because they had a different perspective, they had a different approach. Because they saw something that was different, they understood that they didn't have to live according to what they saw. They could live according to what they believe. But you know, I realized so much in our culture is... Uh, unbelieving or being skeptical is kind of like a rite of passage. You know what I'm saying? Like I remember I had this one time, I went to Hong Kong. I was 15 years old and I went to Hong Kong. And uh, we taught English in schools and it was this amazing trip and it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we got to see a lot of cool things, ate some cool food, went on this like floating restaurant. It was a cool trip. But I remember one of the last days that we were there, they took us out into the market uh, and we were going to just kind of let us do some shopping or whatever. And, you know, I went out and I was shopping and I was determined that I was going to get something nice. Okay. Now, you know, I, you, you see all the things and you know that when you're going to Hong Kong or China or those areas that there's a lot of fakes and there's a lot of things. But I was determined that 15 year old me, you know, I had the eye to spot the diamond in the rough. You know, like I know enough about Rolex watches at 15 years old to definitely be able to pick out a real one from a fake one. And so I can remember I'm walking around, I'm looking at all the different signs because they had signs up, like real strange signs. And somehow there's like, I don't know if you knew this, but there's like tens of thousands of Rolex watches that are made all the time. And they're just sitting in like these little shacks all over Hong Kong. I don't know if you knew that or not. 
But I remember I'm walking around and I'm looking at them and I'm reading them because, you know, I'm, I'm an expert at this point at Rolex watches. I had done a little bit of research on Google to know what to look for. And so I remember I was walking around looking and finally I had spotted it. And I figured the way that I would know that I would spot it was the more shady the operation, probably the more genuine the product, right? Because I'm thinking this guy's got to protect the fact that he's got the crown jewels, a giant box of thousands of dollars of Rolexes just, so that's why it's real shady. So I can remember I meet this guy and we have this really strange, you know, interaction, mostly because he spoke Chinese and I spoke English. And so I didn't really know what each other was saying, but I understood the motion as he motioned me to come down this dark alley, okay? Now, I figured, obviously, the dark alley is where they keep the real Rolexes. So I followed him because I was, I was going to get this Rolex. So I can remember, I walk up, and I see it, and he pulls it out of the box. Now, they don't let you touch them, right? Just so you know, if you're going to buy a real Rolex, they don't let you touch them in Hong Kong, okay? But he showed it to me, and I'm like, wow, this is so nice. It looks so amazing. And I ask him, you know, how much do you want for it? And I'm thinking, you know, this is like a $10,000 watch. So I'm thinking, I mean, if I could even get it for a thousand bucks. And he comes to me and he says, you know, they always got the calculators out, right? Because they're trying to show you like they're going to give you a good deal, real good deal, right? <laughs> and he turns it around to me and it's 250 bucks. And I'm like, 250 bucks? <laughs> 250 bucks, this is a real, this is a $10,000 watch. This guy has no idea. 250 bucks. And so I excitedly, but real, you know, real cool. You know, I just, you know, slide in the money as if this is just a normal exchange. And I'm looking at it and I walk away and I'm just like so proud. I'm thinking, this is it. And I go to unwrap it. And as I unwrap it, the watch band just falls off. <laughs> and I can remember being so embarrassed as I'm like walking around with this thing. Actually, I was like literally so embarrassed. Like I just gave the watch away because I was like, I think I just like threw it in the ocean. I'm like, I hate you, Rolex. But I learned in that moment, in that lesson, what? Is that it's better to not believe. It's better to not believe because believing is dangerous. It's, it requires me to take a risk. It, it puts me out in a dangerous place. You know, I, I was thinking about that. It's a, it's a silly story. It wasn't really as bad as it seems. It was actually that bad. <laughs> but I was thinking about it in terms of living our Christian life, and I realized how in our culture, this idea of believing can sometimes be something that's very challenging. And so it's so much easier to believe the things that I see that are around me rather than it is to understand that I can ignore the things that are around me and believe what the Word of God says. And I've realized this because we have to, as believers, if we ever want to get to a place in our life where we are manifesting the promises of God, we have to do war with the unbelief that's in our hearts. Can I say that again? Because maybe you didn't catch it. We have to be willing to do war with the unbelief that's in our hearts. Because what I have discovered is as long as the unbelief is in my heart, it's always going to keep me from stepping into the place that I need to be in order to manifest the miracle that I'm believing for. It's always going to be that thing. Like in the example of the person who the testimony we just heard, the unbelief always in the moment of breakthrough wants to step in and try to stop us from stepping into or doing that thing that's going to unlock our breakthrough. That moment of unbelief wants to just quickly jump in there and stop us from doing the very thing that we need to do in order to manifest the miracle we've been believing God for. And so I've realized that this concept of unbelief, although in humanity it is something that's celebrated, Right? Naive people, they're, you know, they're silly, they're, they're foolish, you know, they're, they're children. But skeptical people, you know, we're the ones who are... You see, that reality, that, that, that becomes a barrier in my life from being able to believe. 
Because I'll tell you what I've discovered about the word of God and living a Christian life is the more that I can be like a child, the more that I can be naive, the more that I can look into a situation, even though everything about that situation looks impossible, that I can look into the face of impossible and believe that even though it looks so bad, God is bigger. Those are the situations that God is able to turn around in my life. And so I have to do war with my unbelief because unbelief wants to keep me stuck living in the natural. It wants to keep me stuck to doing things that I can do in my own strength. It wants to keep me stuck living life doing things that are comfortable. Stuck living life doing things that I already know that I can do. But I've discovered this about God. God isn't interested in helping you do things you could do on your own. In fact, anytime that we look at faith in the Bible, anybody who does anything by faith in the Bible, from beginning to old, that story always begins by that person stepping out doing something that maybe yesterday was impossible for them. You never read a story in scripture of God intervening in someone's life that could accomplish the task on their own. Why? Because we know this. God isn't interested in sharing his glory. But the issue then comes into our life that in order for us to step into the impossible, to doing the impossible, and sometimes that word impossible is so overused. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's unfamiliar. Sometimes it's doing that thing that you failed at 10 times before. But faith in God begins the moment that I step out because I believe in God. I believe in his word. I walk by faith, not by sight. That's what 2 Corinthians is all about. It's all about helping me to understand that this world, although it may seem real and feel real, that the laws of this world are superseded by the laws of the scriptures. And so we have to live this way. We have to live a life because God is, God is taking us. I mean, I think that's what these nights, really these last few nights of worship, I believe that really what God is doing is he's reigniting our hearts to begin to believe the simplicity of believing again. That he is stirring our hearts to engage back to maybe that place we were 5, 10, 15 years ago. To the time before the failure, before the disappointment, be, before it didn't work out the way we wanted it to work out. Why? Because our promised land is always going to be full of giants. Whenever God asks us to do anything, it's always going to be a challenge. There's always going to be opposition. It's always going to be uncomfortable. It's always going to be unfamiliar. But I tell you something, the beauty of this is knowing that just because it's uncomfortable, just because it's unfamiliar, doesn't mean that it's impossible. And this is the thing that the spies didn't understand. The 10 spies went in and they felt uncomfortable. They felt uneasy. They felt afraid. They felt nervous. Maybe they had flashbacks of being enslaved again in the new land like they were for the last hundreds of years. You see what all of these things, because we live according to the, what we see around us, it has the ability to enslave us. But the problem is, is that that's every single one of our promises are beyond the walled city of Jericho. Every single thing that we're believing God for. Yes, it may seem as though it's impossible. But that's probably what the Israelites thought. I mean, I can only imagine. Imagine this. Sometimes I think about these scriptures and I like to try to put myself in them. Because sometimes we read them and we're like, oh yeah, that's amazing. But it, like, imagine being there and, you know, this is the guy, right? So Joshua hops up on the scene and he's a fresh leader. Like he's a new guy. They've been following Moses for four, we know at least for 40 years. 
So they become comfortable with Moses' style, his tactics, and now Moses dies and Joshua hops up on the scene. Imagine that. Imagine you're like getting ready to go up against Jericho and you're excited because this is God's chosen new leader for you. You can't wait to hear the amazing way, the amazing plan of God of how he's going to dispatch angels to go in and knock down the walls. And your leader comes to you and says, hey guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to walk around. And you're like, yeah, walk around and what? Yeah, we're going to walk around. And then when we're done walking, we're going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to walk again. And then we're going to walk again and again. And then, but on the seventh day, that's when it's going to happen. They're like, yeah, tell us what's going to happen on the seventh day. Yeah, instead of walking one time, we're going to walk seven times. And then once we're done walking seven times, we're going to yell as loud as we can. Right, but think about that. Think about how that would feel. But the beauty of this is that I love about this story, and although it sounds so funny, it gives me great comfort to understand that God is not limited by the things that I feel like he's limited by. You know, just because people say something is impossible doesn't make it impossible. It just means that no one has ever done it before. You know, like 30 years ago, if you were to tell somebody that you were going to put an entire computer inside of a thing this big, they would turn to be like, no, no, you don't understand. That's impossible. Yeah. You don't know how big, I mean, maybe you could fit it inside of a small room, but, but never. Yeah, right. Right. That's right. We're going to watch Paul getting married in the Philippines on your phone. Imagine telling somebody that 100 years ago. They'd be like, where's the Philippines, right? <laughs> but what? It simply just means that no one has ever. But what happens is, is that when we walk according to what we see, rather than what we believe, when somebody, when we bump up against our wall of Jericho, immediately our assumption is what? We were grasshoppers in our own eyes and we were grasshoppers in their eyes. And so if I live according to what I see, I'm destined to live doing as much as I can do on my own. Now, this is the thing I heard the Lord say, is that God has anointed each and every one of us to be amazing. And what you can do on your own is amazing. You can accomplish a lot on your own, but you just can't accomplish all that God has anointed you to do. And so I don't want these messages to put fear in you to feel like, well, if I don't walk by faith, my life is going to be a failure. No, 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 that's not, that's not what we're saying at all. You'll still be able to do great things. But just when we talk about, I believe in miracles and God showing up and doing things in my life and my life breaking the mold and things happening to me that shouldn't have never happened to me and the doctor told me it was impossible or Somebody paid off my mortgage. Those things. And so I see that this life of faith is a must. Doing war against what I believe is a must. Forcing myself to reign in my thoughts is a must. Getting my heart to a place where it's whole is a must. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to do any of this. But here's the beauty of it, is that really all that faith is, is, is believing. It, it's not like the hard work, right? The hard work of everything, that was, it was already done on the cross, right? And so sometimes we can feel like, oh, like how am I ever going to? No, 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 no. All you have to focus on is just believe, not that you could do it. Because this is the amazing thing about faith. It's not even believing that I could do it. Because I'm aware of what I could do and what I can't do. Faith isn't believing that I could do something. Faith is believing that God has already done that thing that I'm believing God for. 
And so I realized something, is that when I'm believing God for something, when I'm establishing my faith in God, what I'm establishing is not in trying to build myself up as though I could do something that's amazing. My faith is in the fact that God can do, this is the thing, let me tell you, God can do everything that he said he could do. Come on, let's just sit on that for a second. Because sometimes we want to religify that. And we want to be like, yeah, bless God, hallelujah. No, 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 wait a minute. Think about that thing in your life that seems as though it's impossible. Think about that situation. Think about that family member, that body part. God is not intimidated by your problems. God isn't in heaven, frantically running around, biting his nails, having board meetings with Jesus and the Holy Spirit so they could try to figure out what to do in order to solve your problem. 2,000 years ago, Jesus already set up, established, and completed the solution to every problem that you would ever have for the rest of time. My job as a believer is just to simply believe that. So how do we do that? The Bible gives me one simple instruction, and I'm done with this. The Bible says that I must renew my mind. I got to renew my mind. Normally, I like to give you a couple points, but I realize with this one, there's one point. I have to renew my mind. Because sometimes we like to reason things out. But I realized something, you know, from my dad has been talking about, and if you haven't been here or had the ability to watch my dad's last few teachings, this topic that he's on of teaching about covenant has just been absolute, like it's been rocking me. <coughs> and it's like this, it's, it's the understanding that you can't have the benefits of marriage and dating. Like, if I'm married to Danielle, I can't expect her to marry me, but also, so I get all the benefits of being married, but then also expect to have all the benefits of dating, where I can just go and date whoever I— Here's him. Is that news to anybody in here? If it is, you're not married yet. That's how you'll know. But you see, sometimes this is the thing, is that we want to hold on to—we want to hold on to our believing— I want to hold on to the fact that I believe that God can do everything. I want to hold on to the fact that I believe that God can fix. But, you know, just in case. I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I've tried this before. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just being smart about it. I'm not putting all my eggs into this basket. Because, you know, I've been there before. And, you know, all my eggs broke. The Bible says it like this, that I have to renew, I have to renew my mind to the word of God. What does that mean? That means in the life of Joshua and Caleb, it means that although what they were looking at was giants, walled cities, although what they were looking at was impossible, although everybody around them was telling them that what they were looking at was impossible, their honest reality. Like, Caleb wasn't just trying to get in the Bible here, right? You know what I'm saying? And so he actually felt like the 12 spies, but it was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to object to this so that I could get in the Bible, right? That's not what he's saying. You understand what I'm saying? Like, he wasn't just like, Joshua, this is what we're going to do, man. Like, they're writing a Bible, and it's going to be read for the rest of history, like, eternity. And so let's just argue. I know we don't feel this way, but let's just argue with everybody and pretend that we're— That's not what he was saying. His honest intention, like, he silenced everybody in that whole room because his honest intention, like, he honestly thought that the best course of action was to go out and do battle— against all of these people. You see, this is what renewing my mind is all about. It's not a religious activity. 
It's not something that I say that I do. What I'm doing is I'm actually changing the inside of me so that the outlook on my life actually becomes different. You see, how do I know that I'm renewing my mind? One simple way is that my outlook on life should begin to change. That's how I know that it's changing. You see, if I live my whole life feeling like one of the 10 spies, then I know something that I'm doing, you know, ah, it's just not working. Because there's no reason why we should live. I tell you something, the, the cross and what Jesus did for us on the cross, like that revelation in not alone is enough to transform every situation in our life. But what happens is, is I have to honestly allow it to renew my mind. I have to honestly allow. Like when I hear this testimony of this lady, I have to honestly allow it to renew my mind. Because I can't tell you how often I hear these things. And the thought wants to pop up in my head, oh, that could never happen to me. I'm going to close with this story. Nothing, nothing is impossible. Now, I remember we said this last year. It was a confession that I think my mom was making. That we're going to come out of Christmas like doing better than we went into Christmas. Right? Because we were saying most people feel like, oh, I went through Christmas and now I'm going to have to spend the next six months paying off my credit card debt. And my mom caught this revelation and was like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm going to come out of Christmas, and I'm going to be doing better coming out of Christmas than I went into it. And I remember there was something about that that just like, you know how there was some of those things that it was just like, this thing hit me. And I'm like, this is it. And I remember it wasn't even like I was making it into a big deal, but it was like she said it, and it was like you knew it was from God because it was like it stuck on you. And I can remember going through the whole month of December, and, and like I'm still talking about it now. This is a year later, because I'm doing it again. <laughs> this time I'm going for twice as much, right? But I can remember, I'm just rehearsing, and I'm just thinking about it. And every time that thought wants to pop into my head of, you know, I'm buying a present for this person, I'm like, oh, well, you know, there's that. I can remember, and I would just say to myself real simply, no, you know what? This year, I'm coming out of Christmas better than I went into it. You know, God is my witness. God is my—this is not like hype. I, I'm telling you the truth. I remember— Coming out of Christmas, somebody gave us like a, like a decent chunk of money. And I remember once I paid off all of the things, I came out of Christmas with more money than I went into it with. Now what happens, right? Because this is the thing, is that this is the moment now when we have to begin to do battle with the unbelief that's on the inside of us. Because the Bible says it like this, that God is no respecter of persons. And so if he would do it for one person, that means that he will do it for me. And so now because somebody, God would show up and do that for one person, that means the promise of God is that he would do it for every single one of us. But what? Now, when we step into this Christmas season, this is just one example. And that thought pops up in your head. Because most of you know it's probably going to pop up. You're going to be like, oh, I should have bought this on Black Friday because now it's twice as expensive, right? And then you'll be like, no, this year I'm coming out of Christmas better than I went into it. Why? Because what? That's as simple as it is. That's what it looks like to renew your mind. Can I say, can I say something? You can. It's kind of a, an out there thing for me, but um, I actually love the cold. I just have this <coughs> conviction in my heart for people who struggle with no heat. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that. If you've ever experienced that once <laughs> in the middle of winter, then you have compassion on people who are homeless and maybe experiencing those things. So I know where we live. It's no surprise to me. But I know what the scripture talks about. Jesus spoke to the wind and the wave, waves. And I am one of those crazy people, crazy good, who believe, who believes God can change weather. And so I remember one time, you know, I mean, we've seen a lot of change in weather. And I remember one time saying to the Lord, and this is the point I want to make, not that I'm praying for the weather. But I remember saying to the Lord, you know, it's up and it's down and there's change and it's back. 
And I remember he said to me, you're dealing with so much, something that's been that way for so long. And you're literally talking about changing the blueprint of something that everybody says it that way, that says that's the way it is, knows that's the way it is, fights to keep it that way. So you're fighting. So a lot of times, uh, you know, what we're doing is when you're talking about Israel, they were in 300 years of slavery. Not just like two or three years and then it ended. (laughs) A weekend. (laughs) It's like generation after generation of that's the way it always was. And that's the fight that you're talking about. But the beauty is that when you do it, God will, just like with you, if you really mean it and you engage him in this thing that you're renewing your mind around or believing God for, he'll give you insight like he did with you. He he told you there's interest on it. Man, when you hear something like that from the Lord, you're like, I guess I'm not so goofy after all. God, you're in this. And so then perseverance hits your heart to continue because things are changing if we all just hang on. And this is the thing about it is, is that's why, I mean, I was listening to a teaching just recently and they were talking about this, how Israel went and they set up the stones. They came across the Jordan and they set up the stones as a reminder to them and to the generations to come of what God did. I think that sometimes it's funny how we can forget. I could come out of Christmas last year and be balling and then go into this Christmas and fear want to hit me for the fact that I'm spending money to buy gifts. But what has to happen is, is that I have to remind myself of, I have to forcefully change my mind about what is possible. And not just once or twice, not in one situation or just the other, but every area because God would have, that's why when we talk about sacrifice, that's why we could talk about sacrifice excitedly because I know I have a history that says every time I stepped up, every time that I stepped up, every time that I gave that gift, every time that I went the extra mile, God is always, always faithful he's always faithful every time whether I see it or I don't see it I know he's always faithful I could never outgive what God has done I'm done with this story I apologize the story of E.V. Hill it says this E.B. Hill told about being one of five children raised by a single mother during the Great Depression in rural Texas. A woman he called Mama, who was one of no relation to him, announced to her church when he was in the ninth grade that my boy is going to finish high school. Most young black men in rural Texas dropped out of school in the 10th grade and started working for $2 a day. But Hill finished high school just as Mama said he would. Then she said he would go to college, so she bought him a bus ticket, a suit, a couple pairs of blue jeans, and some shirts. She took him to the bus station and gave him $5 and said, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) Hill said he had $1.83 left when he pulled into, into Prairie View, Texas, where he spent 25 cents of that to catch a city bus to the Prairie View A&M campus. As he stood in line at the registrar's office, he noticed a a sign that read $83 cash. Okay, he's got like a dollar, like 35 in his pocket right now. Standing in line at school, right? With a dollar 35 in his pocket, he reads a sign that says $83 cash, cashier's check or money order. He's like, Hill didn't have the $83 and didn't know what he was going to do. As Satan whispered into his ear, go on, that he had no business being there, he remembered, he remembered Mama's promise. I'll be praying for you. So he stayed in line on her prayer. He stood as he watched person after person go to the counter, pay, and walk away. Each person put him that much closer to the tuition window. He waited until he was the next person in line. That's bold, right? (laughs) 
You'd be sweating at that point. <laughs> the student at the window picked her stuff up, walked away, and as he was just about to step up to the counter, someone put a hand on his shoulders and asked, Are you Ed Hill? The man then told him to get out of line, and as they walked off to the side, the man said, Son, have you paid yet? <laughs> he responded, Not quite. <laughs> The man responded, didn't you get the letter? We've been trying to contact you. We are giving you a four-year scholarship. It will pay your tuition, your room, and board, and give you $35 a month for spending money. If God would do it for someone, if God could do it for anyone, God could do it for us. That's why... Sometimes we have to just choose. That's why you got to choose. That's why in those moments, you know, when it seems impossible, sometimes when it seems like, you know, you got your last hundred bucks in your pocket, sometimes it seems like, you know, it just doesn't, you know, you, the, the relationship just doesn't seem like it could get any worse. It just seems like that kid is never going to come home. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we live this life. That's why we keep showing up. That's why we keep putting money in the offering. That's why we keep worshiping. That's why we keep celebrating. Why? Because you may, you don't know it, but you just may be next in line. You may be the next one. It may seem like it's not happening person after person. You might be sitting in there sick of hearing about all these testimonies because it's not happening. You're like, if I hear another person get a job, I'm leaving this church. What? But you got to remember. We're next in line. I'm next in line. Why? Because God is faithful. He's faithful to his promise. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Over this Christmas season, Lord, we even declare, God, that we're coming out of it better, better, stronger, healthier than we went into it, Father. Lord, we declare over 2018, God, that we're finishing strong and we're going to get out of this year, Father, everything that you intended us to get out of it. We're not quitters. We're not doubters. We're not afraid, God, because we know we have your promise and so we don't have to walk by sight, but we declare we're people of faith in Jesus' name.